0: Election College episode 278, The Two Mrs. Wilsons. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session.
1: Now, your hosts... Jason Goff and Ben Smith.
0: Ben, we keep on talking about, yeah, you'll hear more about that in our episode dealing with the wives of Woodrow Wilson. And here it is. And this is our last episode about Woodrow Wilson for a while. Or people working directly with Woodrow Wilson, or in this case, being married, which (laughs) might not be too much different than working in the situation. Woodrow Wilson's first wife, Ellen Axon was born in May of 1860 in Savannah, Georgia. Now she was the daughter of a preacher, uh, a Presbyterian minister, and she was, you know, raised in this kind of Southern genteel way. Uh, She loved art and music and literature So, 1883 rolls around, and it was April, you know, spring, crazy things happen, and her buddy, Jesse Woodrow Wilson, uh, who Mm -hmm. lived in Rome, Georgia, where Ellen was from, uh, had a visitor come to his house, and that visitor was his cousin, Woodrow Wilson, and she meets him. She's keeping house for her dad, who was a widower, and Woodrow is like, wow, what splendid laughing eyes. I guess he liked her. That's what I said when I met my wife. That's
1: right. (laughs) Well, they got engaged about five months later, and then they decided to postpone the wedding because he was doing some postgraduate work at John Hopkins, and she was taking care of her father, who was sick. Her father actually ended up uh, committing suicide. He was hospitalized for depression and um, ended up taking his life. So later she goes to study at the League of New York— Uh, the Art Students League of New York. And then she goes off and studies some portrait art and gets a medal, and she does a lot of cool stuff. Uh, And then she goes back to Georgia. And when they are, uh, Wilson's 28 and she is 25, they get married in Savannah, Georgia, at her grandparents' home. And, of course, his father, being a reverend, being a pastor, uh, they have him do the ceremony along with Ellen's grandfather, So they go off the honeymoon, of course, and at that point Woodrow gets offered a teaching position at Brian Marr College for $1,500 and they move there, live near the campus and her little brother moves in with them.
0: All the while, while heading north, Ellen is all about keeping the southern culture, right? And part of what that involves is making sure your kids are born in the south. That doesn't exactly work out because it takes a little while to go south just to have your baby. But anyway, um, the Wilson's had three daughters, Margaret, Jesse, and Eleanor. Kind of interesting, Ben, I got off on a huge rabbit trail about Margaret Wilson. Uh-huh. She cut a record that Columbia Records took uh-huh. like in the ni- 1913-ish, somewhere around there. So she was a singer. And then later in life, she moved to India, And became a Hindu nun. Oh, wow. And that's where she died. (laughs) It's an interesting life for sure. Isn't that, can you imagine? And then um, Jessie worked at a settlement house in Philadelphia. She married Frances B. Sayre at the White House, and they settled in Massachusetts, and she joined the faculty of Harvard Law School. So she didn't end up being a Southerner. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, Eleanor ended up marrying a future Secretary of the Treasury, William Gibbs McAdoo.
1: McAdoo's a cool last name.
0: It really is. We might just have to do an episode
1: where we just say McAdoo. Just the whole, it's the McAdoo episode.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like I said, um, Margaret and Jesse, they were born in Georgia, but Eleanor, she's a Yankee they couldn't get there in time the southern family the Wilsons they move north
1: keep the southern ideals but no they're gonna hang out up east so after Woodrow gets elected as president in 1912 they pretty much decide that they're not gonna have an, an inaugural ball Ellen is really a lady of simple tastes but she is hugely classy uh, very cordial to her friends and family and the the guests she entertains, and the parties are still successful and people like them. Uh, she convinces her husband that maybe we need to invite some people who are influential over every now and then for private dinners and you know stuff like that. During the time where they're married, Woodrow, of course, having grown up in a slave-owning family and then being from the South, that is ingrained in them. But as the First Lady, Ellen is really devoting a lot of effort to improving different housing and things like that for the black slums in Washington, D.C. And so she would go to alleys that were run down and you know areas of town that were run down and bring them to the attention of the congressmen and everything to try to get some better living arrangements for uh, the African-American population. Uh, in 1914, unfortunately, she uh, passes away in August from Bright's disease. And she, uh, she dies there at the White House. She gets buried in Rome, Georgia, and uh, is buried there at Myrtle Hill Cemetery.
0: Yeah, what a shock, and how sad is that? Um, Margaret, their daughter, ends up taking over the responsibilities as the White House hostess until, well, this isn't actually very long after Ellen passes away, a certain lady named Edith Galt is introduced to Woodrow Wilson, the president. So we're going to cut all the way back. We're going to go back to 1872 now. Edith Bowling was born in October of 1872 in Withville, Virginia. So another lady who is born to a prominent Southern family who held slaves. And, um, yeah, her family gets us she has a direct line to pocahontas she's related to pocahontas i think it's her and so edith wilson and nancy reagan are related to pocahontas can you believe that
1: i didn't know that i was clueless yeah yeah did you
0: know that most vitamin d3 supplements come from sheep's wool i'm Kat, founder of ritual
1: Uh, two of them did pass away in infancy, but they were uh, kind of an influential family. They were some of the oldest members of the different slave-holding families in Virginia, uh, prior to the Civil War, of course. And then after the Civil War, uh, her father turns to law. He goes into the practice of law to support his family. And, you know, later on, he's not able to really... Keep the plantation going uh, they weren't able to pay the taxes on all the different property that they had and they moved to withville where most of the kids were born just like edith was and so the house is a it's a big house uh, of course like i said 11 children nine who who were able to live past um, past infancy and not only did they have the the kids but edith's grandmothers uh, a couple aunts some cousins all of them lived with the Edith's family and a lot of them were widowed because they had lost different husbands and family members during the civil war so there they are in the south supporters of the Confederate States of America proud southern planters and Edith is fully indoctrinated in the uh, the whole idea of the lost cause you know that the that the south propagated um so yeah justifying slave ownership justifying the the way of the south and quite an interesting extended large family for sure
0: yeah and what's really crazy about this is okay edith has a couple of sisters who are enrolled in the local schools but edith wasn't enrolled because her grandma her grandma bowling Uh, was crippled um, by a spinal cord injury. And all the family got together, I'm sure, one day and said, Hey, Edith uh, could probably do a very good job of taking care of Grandma Bowling. Why not? And so that's exactly what happens. Uh, Edith uh, washes her clothes, uh, turns her bed at night, um, and looks after her 26 canaries. Yeah, so you can imagine what this is like. You've got your grandma who's confined to her bed, uh, with all these birds, it just seems like a little um, Willy Wonka. I was just gonna say action that. <laughs> going on there, uh, but anyway, uh, Grandma Bowling is teaching Edith all about how to read and write and do all the things that Southern women would do. They spoke this hybrid language of French and English. I wonder if it's anything like what I used to speak when I took French and could never get beyond my Kentucky accent. Um, probably not. So, yeah, it was probably much a, better sounding. A bit more refined. I, I would think so. The family would get together, and they would read classic English literature. Her dad did hire a tutor. Sometimes Edith would go along uh, with her dad as he would travel around. And uh, by the time she was 15 years old, she was enrolled in college at Martha Washington college and she didn't always like school. She found uh, some of the places she attended to be too regimented. Um, Other places just didn't seem like the food was good and uh, (laughs) the rooms were too cold and things like that. Uh, So uh, she finally did end up at uh, Powell's school for girls in Richmond, Virginia. And um. Later in life, Edith actually looked back on that and said, that was a great time in my life. But, you know, life happens, and uh, the headmaster at that school uh, got into an accident. Uh, He lost his leg over that, and William Bowling, Edith's dad, was like, nope, you need to come back home and uh, let your brothers attend school instead. So there's Edith. She doesn't have the formal education. She's gone gone here and there, but she goes to Washington, D.C. to visit her sister, and then magic happens.
1: Yeah, she meets Norman Galt, who is a pretty well-known jeweler in the area, and they get married on April 30th of 1896. Uh, They live in Washington, D.C. for about the next 12 years. About seven years after they get married, she has a son who only lives for a few days. And it was a pretty difficult childbirth and um, puts her in a position where she's no longer able to have more children. Uh, A few years later, Norman Galt unexpectedly dies at the age of 43. So basically she hires somebody to oversee all of his business, make sure his debts are paid off. And then she has some income left over uh, because of the profession he was in. And she heads off and tours Europe. Now, in March of 1915, she gets introduced to Woodrow Wilson. At this point, he is a widower. And they both know Helen Woodrow Bones. Um, Bones is Woodrow Wilson's first cousin and is also the hostess. Awesome last name also another awesome last name bones for sure and so woodrow's like i i like this woman um she's pretty cool uh, i think i'm gonna wait like a week or two and then propose <laughs> <laughs> so there were some rumors that woodrow had had cheated on his first wife um with galt and that was bad for them but it was unsubstantiated and uh, it was a whole mess because, you know, not only did they people say he cheated on her, but people say that she uh, actually had her murdered. And this is just crazy because they hadn't even met until after the fact that she had already passed away. So Woodrow Wilson's like, Hey, why don't you go ahead and back out of the engagement? It's no problem. And instead, Edith's like, nah, that's fine. I'll, uh, I'll just wait till you're, Your wife has been gone for like a full year and then we'll get married. So they did.
0: You know, this is where it gets kind of, I'm not going to say funny, but I just did say funny. So I guess I did. Ellen's experience as first lady to Woodrow Wilson was completely different than Edith's. Yeah. (laughs) The big thing was the fact that world war one is about to break out in 1917 And the U.S. is entering into the war, I should say, in 1917. And Edith becomes the quintessential wartime spouse. And what I mean by quintessential is she starts these austere measures around the White House. She's like, we're going to have gasless Sundays and meatless Mondays and wheatless Wednesdays. And um, it takes off. You know, people are like, wow, the first lady is showing that we can, we can all cut back in order to support the war effort. And she becomes very involved in the administration. She does all she can do to keep him physically fit. You know, he's got this history of having strokes and other weird ailments that come and she accompanies him when he travels to Europe, uh, for the peace, um, conference. And what happens in October of 1919 is what you're going to hear. Most of all, when you hear somebody say first lady Wilson, and that is in October of 1919, Woodrow has a stroke. He's paralyzed on the left side. And not very many people know what's going on because Edith takes over a whole bunch of things (laughs) when it comes to running the government.
1: Yeah, that's true. And really, she takes on this role for quite some time. You know, he was still going to be in office for about a year and a half. And so she takes on the role of the first lady slash You know, making decisions for the executive branch. And uh, she actually says, quote, I studied every paper sent from different secretaries or senators and tried to digest and present in tabloid form the things that, despite my vigilance, had to go to the president. I myself never made a single decision regarding the disposition of public affairs. The only decision that was mine was what was important and what was not. And the very important decision of when to present matters to my husband end quote so really you know i think a lot of people didn't and maybe even don't believe this because there were long periods of time where no one else saw the president except for his wife Uh, didn't really know what condition he was in if he was even conscious at certain points and so certainly it was needed for someone to be the gatekeeper while he was ill and that's understandable but at the same time you know, get into this conversation of, well, whose duty is it to make sure that the president is the one doing his job and not somebody else? And, uh, yeah, really a, an interesting dilemma when you think about the fact that, was somebody else totally running the president's job for a while? And if so, is is that okay? Yeah. At best, it's agenda setting,
0: right? Right. And in my journalism classes in college, I can remember, you know, hearing about agenda setting where – The news media doesn't necessarily make the news, but they set what you're going to see. So at best, that's all she was doing. She was setting the agenda at worst. She was running the country
1: unelected. (laughs) And this is before uh, women. I mean, they should have, of course, but this is before women actually had the right to vote. So not only did were women not even allowed to vote at this time, they certainly weren't allowed to be president. Um, of course, you know, we would we we know we're on the right side of history now knowing that women should have been able to vote. But just really interesting to think of how much power she probably had it, in the very least at being able to present what was important to her and what was not to the president.
0: Yeah. You know, Ben, probably the more astonishing thing to me, and this is probably looking at it, you know, 100 years later, Uh-huh it's shocking that Wilson survives. Like he lives to the end of his term, right? Because everybody's just kind of thinking he's not going to make it. Yeah. And he does make it and he makes it till, you know, several years after he's out of office. But what ends up happening is okay. He makes it and she tends to him for three years. They buy a house in, uh, Washington DC. And, um, she goes and heads the Women's National Democratic Club, is involved in Washington, D.C. life uh, right up until the end. In 1961, she attends the inauguration of John F. Kennedy. She was there at when uh, Franklin Roosevelt addressed Congress after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. On the day she died, she was supposed to have been the guest of honor at the dedication ceremony for the Woodrow Wilson Bridge, there in Washington.
1: Yeah, pretty incredible. Passes away in 1961, and definitely saw a long span of different events in our country. I mean, a couple world wars for sure. Um, was born, of course, after the Civil War, but uh, you can imagine the impact that those events had on her life. Directly living so close to the to the events, so yeah. A pretty incredible time period to be alive during and then also who who knows what kind of decisions she was able to make and hey maybe they were great decisions that were made too uh, or at least great um, things that she was able to make sure happened during that time where her husband was ill but very interesting lady
0: yeah and it's fascinating you know they were only married what nine years and they were only married a couple of years before she rose to such prominence and you know, she's buried next to him in the Washington national cathedral. Uh, Ellen is buried uh, in Georgia um, with her family. So yeah, despite the fact that they were married a lot longer, Ellen kind of takes a back seat in the history uh, when it comes to thinking of the Wilson ladies for sure.
1: Hey, Jason, uh, we have three new reviews I want to read. How's that sound? That sounds awesome. Cool. I, some of these titles are just spectacular. Yeah. The first one's from Zany10, and it's just called Entertaining. It says, you sure make learning fun. I've just started at the beginning and haven't caught up, but I love all of the nicknames for the historical figures. Well, we do too, and you'll hear this hopefully when you catch up, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> uh, the next one is called Manifest Destiny." And it's from someone called Millard Chilmore, which is phenomenal spectacular (laughs) says I stumbled upon gold with this podcast I take pride in being a weirdo who binge listens to presidential podcasts and it didn't take me long to make it through the episodes once I started from his rotundity to Eugene Debs Ben and Jason do a great job of entertaining listeners while providing great background and info on elections and important people my favorite part is that they bring obscure historical figures out to the spotlight who deserve more attention five stars all the way Thank you very much, Millard Chilmore. We appreciate that. And the last one for this week that we'll read uh, is from P- uh, PGH Pickles, which I wonder – there's a there's a Pittsburgh pickle company. I wonder if that's the uh, um, same company. They also uh, – my, my company distributes some things to their company. So anyway, uh, it's called uh-huh. Learn and Laugh. Uh, easy listening and learning abounds at EC. The cousins have a delightful banter throughout each podcast. Keep it up. Thank you to all three of those reviews and keep them coming. Um, we want to make sure to read as many things as we can on the show.
0: Yeah. And if you haven't already, be sure to interact with us in our private Facebook group. You can go to electioncollege.com slash group, and you will be ushered into the very presence of Ben and Jason. Uh, that's right. You can be there. You can hang out with us and a bunch of our buddies who enjoy talking presidential election history. Yeah, it's not one of those trivia groups. Not that there's anything wrong with those, but, you know, that kind of thing is all over Facebook. We're just kind of like, who are the people who listen to the podcast and who are interested in this? And um, for those of you who didn't know, I'm selling just about every personal belonging And moving into an RV with my wife and four-year-old and we're going to be traveling around and we're looking for things to do. So uh, do let us know in the group where some places we can go and hang out and maybe even meet up with you and shake your hand or something.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome to hear those stories for sure. Uh, hey, if there's something you want to do that's not leaving a review, you've already done that maybe, and you want it to be really easy, if you're going to shop on Amazon, just go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon, make all your purchases. You won't pay a penny more, but we'll get somewhere between 4 and 7% of everything you buy. Uh, that really helps us out
0: a lot. Hey, we'll see you over in the group, and uh, be on the lookout because we got some other stuff to give
1: away. Bye.